Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hey, it's Mark Graben here. Welcome to episode 478 of the podcast. It is June 19th, 2023. I want to wish everybody a happy Juneteenth holiday today. My guest today is Shante Kinch. You'll learn more about her in a minute, but she is the founder of Impact Global, a consulting firm. And you can get a link to Shante's LinkedIn profile, her website, and more by looking in the show notes, or you can go to leanblog.org slash 478. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to Lean Blog Interviews. My guest today is Shante Kinch. In 2022, Shante founded Impact Global, a consultancy that works with organizations to help them solve really big problems. She has more than 20 years spent implementing Six Sigma, Lean, and design thinking concepts, and that's inspired her to take on uh, so-called wicked problems in what's often called, there's an acronym alert here, VUCA world. And I'll ask Shante in a minute to um, tell us what VUCA means for those who don't know. But um, she was originally trained by Shingajitsu, pioneers uh, from Toyota Production System Roots. She's educated over 2,800 people in continuous improvement and innovation practices. She's led hundreds of workshops and coached more than 60 leaders. Um, Shante holds a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering, a Master's of Engineering Design Manufacturing, both from Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia. So I've known Shante for uh, a while, like what, over 10 years, I see a nodding. Longer than that. Um, 15, 15 years. Yeah, at least 15. Long time. I, I interrupted where I, I'm supposed to say, first off, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure uh, to be here. Thank you for being here. And um, yeah, I mean, there's 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 some podcast guests where I'm, I'm sort of meeting them for the first time. And that's definitely not the case here with uh, with you, Shante. We, we, we cross paths through lean healthcare circles. Absolutely. We'll maybe get to that when we hear some of your career arc and um, origin story. So and we have a, a lot to talk about here today. Um, so first off, um, the acronym, it's one I've heard, and um, but may, maybe um, not everybody listening knows. Tell us real quick you know, what, what VUCA stands for. VUCA stands for volatility, uncertainty, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. Um, in today's world, I think it's even more relevant. Things are moving, especially technology is moving so fast. Um that and technology is moving so fast that it impacts um what we know or what we think we know to be true or the way we think things should happen um and i think there's been from a people standpoint there's so much polarization and um economic uncertainty in just about every sphere things just aren't clear you know there's in and things shift fast. And so how can we be prepared for whatever is coming and how can we have some even foresight and insights into um, thinking about what could be and preparing for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and to me, lean is about increased agility and adaptability. Like I think sometimes people think or hear about lean in terms of process and standardized work and they think that that's rigid and I well no it's actually it's actually quite the opposite when we're better 
with problem solving and improvement, and that leads to innovation. I think we're Absolutely. in the same camp there. But what what else would you add around, you know, how lean in general helps us better, um, better cope with or or even thrive in in this VUCA world? Yeah, I think one of the things, um, you know, one of the basic principles of lean is is observation, and I think there is a benefit to not only, you know, we often think about lean in terms of process. But when we think about it bigger in terms of the world, <laughs> uh, there's an opportunity to observe not only what's happening present, but to learn from the past. And mm-hmm. so I think we can observe and, and have some intentionality around what has happened, why has it happened, what can we see coming, so what do we need to do different? Yeah. Yeah. And... I think we'll have a chance to explore a little bit of, of some of your own learning and history. Like, you know, I've never worked directly with Shingejitsu. I've heard stories, and I don't know sometimes like what's what's real and what's <laughs> urban, urban legend. But yeah. but I think you know there there are some similarities in our our backgrounds and in terms of being coached by Toyota or former Toyota people, which Shingejitsu is is part of that former Toyota club. But you use this phrase, and I think this is one of the things that got drilled into me: this difference between what we know and what we think we know, like the yes. difference between fact and assumption. Absolutely. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that or even an example, or if you have a story of, of, of where people might get tripped up when they confuse the difference between those things. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that's plaguing society right now is bias. And there's so many different types of bias. And, you know, like going back to the principle of observation when it comes to lean is identifying the facts. And that's one reason you observe is so you can see what's actually happening. What not what has somebody told you, not what do you assume, not what do you feel, but what's real, uh, real based on your eyes real based on data and even data needs to be validated mm-hmm, because oftentimes mm-hmm. that's not real mm-hmm. <laughs> or it's been massaged or filtered or whatever. Absolutely. Right? You can yeah. make it say whatever you want it to say. <laughs> <laughs> and so when it comes to data, it's important that we go to the source, see how it's collected, how it's being used to know that it's real. Um, I'm trying to think of an example of when there have been we think versus we know. There have been I've ran hundreds of Kaizen workshops, and there have been some where afterwards, you know, we didn't meet the target. There was a target set, target was not met, but the learning was the win. And what I mean by that is the leaders assumed the problem and through observation, understanding, pulling the layers of that onion back, now we understand what the real problem is. And we didn't meet the target because we were going after the wrong problem. So that's an example of what we think versus what we know. And it's it's important to value the learning as much as meeting a measurable target. Because what I find often is that what 
is being requested by leadership to fix. Once you really get in there, it's a different problem. It's a different problem to be solved. And so that's where bias comes in. That's where fact comes in. And there needs to be space and grace to understand first mm-hmm. and not um, jump onto, oh, well, we didn't meet our target. What did we learn though? Right. And the value of that so that now we can, we know what we need to do to meet the target. Yeah. So there's, there's a huge one there. And it seems like assumptions are the root of many mistakes. So this, this comes up a lot through the context of, you know, the, my favorite mistake mm-hmm. podcast of, of not validating assumptions and, and, and moving forward in, in, in too much of a linear way, instead of thinking of, you know, plan, do study, adjust mm-hmm. PDCA or PDSA um, cycles. Like, yeah, I've, I've seen leaders, they, as you touched on, they make an assumption of what they think the problem statement is. So like they might be framing the problem statement in a way that's blaming the employees. I'm like, okay, wait a minute, time out. Maybe that's not really it. Or we jump to an assumption of what we think the root cause is, mm-hmm. or we jump to an assumption of what a good countermeasure would be. Right. We assume right. it's going to work instead of really like when, 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 when it's not those PDSA cycles, just we, yes. we get in trouble. What I, what I've seen often is that sometimes the process isn't the problem. The process is okay. People aren't following it. And there's a reason they aren't following it. And it also often has to do with leadership and how things are being led and managed. And it's hard for leaders to hear that when they bring you in as a consultant or to help them and they think there's a process issue. And it's like, actually, your process would work fine, but there's another issue here. There's some cultural things going on here. It's not a safe space here. Um, so let's let's run the process as is and fix the fix everything surrounding it. And that gets to kind of um how I'm I'm looking at things now, not as process so much, but improving systems, what's going on in the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's exactly the word that was coming to mind for me, the, the, the systems that surround the process. And mm-hmm. we'll come back and talk more about healthcare, I'm sure. But, um, you know, when you, when you have a situation where, let's say, uh, I mean, I've seen this happen where, you know, you, you have process, you have tasks, that that nurses are supposed to do. And if they were to do everything, it adds up easily to be 80 minutes worth of work every hour. Mm-hmm. Like, so there's a systemic problem. Yes. And if people don't feel safe to ask for help, to pull a proverbial and on cord and say, hey, I'm overloaded. There's too much to do each hour. If leaders are dismissive of that, mm-hmm. there's an assumption of, oh, it's not really that bad. Like, oh, Okay, get out of here with that. <laughs> right. It, 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 that, that just leads to all kinds of problems. Yes. Yes. So when you, if you can get leaders to, does that help then, do you think, to have leaders go to bring, come back to the observe word, come back and observe, look, they're not being chicken little here. Um, the sky is actually falling. Like this is, this is a real, real, pro- the, the problem is a real problem. Absolutely. Um, but one thing that's that I don't think happens often enough is leaders observing leaders. Leaders are always observed, often observing, or we get them to observe the process 
and they observe the people that report to them. But what's what's your role in this? And um, you know, one of one of the things I did when I was working at um, Stanford Hospital was I improved. Um, I was working on improving the effectiveness of the managers, and so we observed every manager, had them observe each others, did time studies of what are you doing all day, what is valuable, what's value added in your management processes, looking at the variation across everyone, and then coming up with some leadership standards and creating a management playbook. Um, that's a different view that's often not looked at and often not taking, taken. Um, and it gets back to we always often assume that the front line is where the problem is. Mm-hmm. And that's so then how I mean, that, that's got to be. Maybe a difficult conversation. To try to help leaders see it the way you're seeing it from the observation. Like, uh, it, the problem is us sometimes in the mirror. Be, but that's the no. value of observation is that they'll start to see it for themselves. The hard part is getting them to create time and space and willingness to observe and willingness to be observed. Um, but once they do, it's like light bulbs on, eyes open. Oh, I get it now. And the same win is in it for them. That's in it for the front line. You have more time. You have more space. Let's go home on time. Let's not work at nine o'clock at night. Let's, you know, feel like we're up to date with all of our tasks and that we're not behind because, you, have, you know, 50 performance reviews do at the end of the week. Um, so there's a win in there. And I think there's a win in all of this. And the key is identifying it and making sure people understand what the win is. I mean, there can be, yeah, different overburden. Yes. Um, unrealistic expectations um, on leaders. But like when I think back to opportunities to observe frontline healthcare professionals, um, like one, one thing that's there, there's, there's, there's some method and there's some mindset. So I think in terms of method, like when you're in an area like a laboratory and you don't have to worry as you know, you don't have that direct patient contact and you're, you're kind mm-hmm. of behind the scenes like having staff observe each other and even use video recordings mm-hmm. was often powerful because then people could watch themselves work yes and start seeing things that they weren't aware of when they're doing it but then there's that mindset of not blaming like we're not blaming you for quote unquote being wasteful right we're observing you whether it's frontline staff or as you're touching on here I think it's a great point leaders Mm-hmm. We can observe and identify causes of waste in ways that aren't blaming, right? Yes, absolutely. And I think there's a very there's a there's a line there because what I was saying could absolutely come across as blaming leaders. But what's happening is leaders are are follow, are doing process every day. It's just often not identified or thought about as process. It's often not documented as process, and it's usually not standardized. It's not repeatable. So they're do like as an individual, they have something and they have a way, a method that they perform repeatedly, but it's often not shared across their peers. And so when you can take a group of leaders that have similar responsibility and say, hey, 
How do you manage a day? How do you manage a week? How do you manage a time? Now you can't repeat, create repeat processes. It's absolutely is not about blaming the individual, but helping support them and give them the tools to be able to be more effective and do their job efficiently. Yeah. And, and I think there's a similar conversation to be had, I think, especially with leaders. If people say, I don't have time to do such and such, like, is that end of conversation then? Oh, you're right. Let's not do that then. Or how do we make time? How do we make time? Yes. That is the key question for just about everything. Um, yeah. Like, but how could we? How can we? <laughs> right. Oh. <laughs> right. You know, whenever right. there's a, a negative statement or a can't, it's like, okay, there's an opportunity there. How do we find the, how do we find it? Yeah. How do we create it? Yeah. So, um, you know, touched on on, on some of this um, earlier. Uh, I mean, you, you've had a lot of great teachers. You've done a lot of great work in different settings and in different industries. Um, I, it, would, it would be great to hear, um, Shante, your lean origin story in terms of just context and timing and, and what improvement methods yes, were, yes. Were, were, were being taught to you. I, I was... Um reflecting. And yesterday was Father's Day. I had the opportunity to spend the day with my dad. And he was my first teacher. Um, So not to make the origin story too long, but it literally started from birth. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we have time. Go ahead. Tell us. (laughs) My father was a sixth grade math and science teacher. He actually was my teacher. I sat in his class and raised my hand, Mr. Ote. Um, But he allowed me to be curious. He allowed and fostered that. He didn't shut me down when I said, why, why, why? And I asked why about everything. And now with the three and four-year-old myself, I get how deliberate he had to be not to shut me down. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And so um he he challenged me early. He fostered my critical thinking. Um the scientific method was understood and utilized at a young age and I loved it. Uh you know, I looked forward to science fairs. We were regularly dissecting owl pellets, earthworms and uh frogs in the house, you know, or looking at the stars, but everything was an experiment from a young so the seeds were planted early. Um, my first formal um, knowledge of lean um, came in the late 90s, early 2000s. I was got a master's of mechanical engineering and design and manufacturing. One of the courses, which um, was my favorite course, was called concurrent engineering. In that class, I was exposed to... Um, improvement methods. Um, so that was the first time I heard about it. Did Still didn't really get it, but it piqued my curiosity. Um, I also took design of experiments, which was my other favorite class. So together, those two kind of also laid a nice foundation for what was to come. My first job outside of, um, my first job after graduating college was um, at Northrop Grumman. I was designing aircraft carriers and there was an expectation to be lean engineering. So that 
was like, oh, there's that word again. What does that mean in this context? How do I engineer in a lean way? And so they um, put me into my first formal training, um, which was um, their University of Continuous Improvement, where I was um, certified in Lean and Six Sigma. Following that job, I was, um, I got, I joined Boeing. I started to work at Boeing where I um, traveled around to Boeing sites all over the country as a lean consultant. This is where I consider my formal, formal, real lean training um, as I was um, trained by Shingojitsu under the guidance of Sensei Nagamatsu and um, learned additional methods like uh, 3P and really how do you innovate with lean? How do you iterate and prototype quickly? Um, And that intersection of process and small, quick iterations with large radical change and step changes, what fascinated me. Um, and I loved the distinction and switching, the mental switching between linear thinking and lateral thinking. Um, linear, linear being more of the process, dot, 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 this happens and this happens and this happens. And lateral being the activities and exercises to get to open your mind to think differently and to be able to innovate. So that was great. Um, And following Boeing, I was recruited to go into healthcare in the, when was it? The around 2010 healthcare was really having an interest in lean. There weren't a lot of people inside that understood it. There was a huge recruitment of industry people coming into healthcare. And I um, was recruited to work at UCLA Health System um, under then COO Amir Rubin, um, who's now the CEO of One Medical Amazon. And that's where I met you. um, And I was working with you a little bit with the Lean Transformation conferences and summits and the Gimba visits, helping to set Gimba visits at all the different sites across the country. So uh, that was my first learning of Lean and healthcare, which really opened my eyes to huge shift in expectations between outside industry and what does it mean to work in healthcare, which was drastically different um, and a huge learning curve. Um, and I think part of the difference that I saw was the emphasis on relationship. Um, relationship was more critical in healthcare from my view, where outside industry, it was all about outcomes. And, um, And I think that was even shown in how Amir addressed um, how he rolled out lean at UCLA. He didn't start with lean, but he knew where he was going. He started with service excellence and rolled out a a standard called CI Care, which is now in a lot of hospitals across the country. But it was first just connect with your patient, connect Mm -hmm. with the customers. Can you look pleasant and connect with them? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's like, if you can't have a service standard and everybody connect Mm -hmm. with the person in front of you, how can I expect you to follow a process standard? Right. So I thought it was really um, smart strategically to not take too big of a leap 
into this world that had traditionally been known as a manufacturing thing. Um, and it, uh, it was a great change management strategy um, there. So, um, yeah, so I'd love to come back and, and sort of dig into um, some, some of that. But, um, you yeah, know, I'm curious to go back to some of those different steps of learning and, and, and um, in, in different contexts, like a couple of things stood out. Or resonated like you know for one I, you know, I think of like you know learning about lean in a formal academic context can maybe at best peak curiosity yeah um it's just limited time limited opportunity you know to think of like you know for me it was like 1994 in an industrial engineering class mark spearman at northwestern you know was talking about elements of lean and the Toyota production system that was really just material flow and production scheduling, right? It was all good stuff, but it was this pretty limited view. And that, again, I'm not faulting him for that. There's only so much you can learn, but it piqued my curiosity or at least established, hey, there was this difference. And then you get out into the working world, you know, that that's where the real learning takes place. Hopefully people aren't turned off to it in an academic setting. Yeah, I think um I think like a, most things in academics is theory and it it allows you to say, "Oh, I want to learn more" or that is not interesting to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in my case it was, "Oh, I really want to learn more about that." So I was glad that the roles I had helped support that learning and application and and practice. Yeah. And then I was going to ask a follow-up question from your time at Northrop Grumman talking about the application of lean to engineering, was it yes. kind of a classic focus of trying to improve the flow, reduce the cycle time, improve the quality of engineering work? I see you nodding. Tell us more. About it that. was, it was, um, I was specifically work designing um, steam piping systems um, for a new class of aircraft carriers. And it was, a, it was two main realms. One was the, time to get the work product completed, the designs completed, um, and how we work together. You know, there was a concurrent effort to work as a multidisciplinary team. It was called IPT teams at the time and disciplinary planning team. And so I led a team of construction people with engineers, with designers, um, all we met together. And that was part of applying lean or agile method to not have this siloed thinking, throw it across the fence. Oh, now they're going to throw it back because you didn't do something right. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) But we we partner in the thinking and the engineering and design together. So that was one thing. Another aspect was um, designing the product lean. Some of the goals were reducing the weight, reducing... um, the meeting the schedule, um, there was some quality requirements. So how do we build that in? How do we build quality in um, to the design itself? Um, so it was it was very neat to look at it from that standpoint versus um, truly, you know, production mm-hmm. as it had been traditionally used. Yeah. And then at Boeing in that time with Shingajitsu, you kind of touched on continuous improvement, innovation. Did you participate in kind of a classic Kaizen events and 3P events, both? Yes. Yeah. Tell us about the difference between those. Yeah. So I I actually have been thinking about this a lot lately in the challenges in healthcare. So I was reflecting back on 
how did I learn this originally? You know, I think reflection is important. And sometimes I feel like we don't always apply the right tool to the problem. And a lot of the issues that I see in healthcare, I'm I'm, I'm going back in a circle all the way to get back to Boeing, <laughs> but the issues I see in healthcare are bigger than what Boeing would have bitten off for a Kaizen event. Um, the things at Boeing that were Kaizen workshops were very, very, very specific and tightly, tightly scoped. Um, you know, I remember one time there was some measure that was just off and then through the workshop, we uncovered what it was and it just needed a, a shim in something. <laughs> and so it was, it was that tight. It was that controlled where the processes in healthcare are like, if I were to relate them, it's like, you need a hundred, a hundred things are loose and you need, you need shims in a thousand places. <laughs> it's like, are we looking at this right? Mm-hmm. You know, is this the right method for the problem or are we biting off too big or, of a problem at or, once? Yeah. Are we framing the problem correctly? It comes back right. to that again. Right. Right. Is the problem being framed correctly? Um, and I think, you know, it goes back to what's the original ask, you know, the, the, organization's leader, what are they asking help for? And then providing feedback of, well, let's learn first. Let's understand first. Maybe we should, let's observe (laughs) first before committing to X problem. So we know that we're working on the right thing. Um, But yeah, at Boeing, I absolutely I learned Kaizen workshops first and I had to get kind of certified in that framework first. Once I did that for an amount of time, then it's like, okay, now you have the prerequisites to learn this next level of lean thinking, which is how to design in a lean way um, via the 3P um, process. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, coming into... I think you alluded to this or correct me if I'm wrong, like coming into healthcare as an outsider, you talked about expectations. Either what I heard or what I jumped to from my experience is like how eye-opening it is in good ways and troubling ways to see behind the curtain, if you will, how things work in healthcare. Am I? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think behind the curtain has a few eye-opening things happening back there. Um, One is you see the quality issues that are really happening and the safety challenges. And you're like, everyone in the world is a patient. I'm a patient. My family's a patient. I'm not comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what I'm seeing the reality is behind the curtain. Um, so I think that that's one thing. Um, but from a from a process or culture standpoint, there absolutely was a difference in I would say what was valued, where I saw um promotions happening in industry, it was 
oh, you met these targets, your performance mm-hmm. was, you know, X, Y, Z, you should be promoted to the next mm-hmm. level. Yeah. Okay. Um, outcomes and, again. Yeah. yeah. Outcomes. Absolutely. In healthcare, it was, um, you, I don't want to, I don't want to blank, make a blanket statement because nothing is absolute, <laughs> but it was very, it was so relationship focused. And so um, you don't push buttons. You don't cause waves. Uh, you, you know, you help the leader achieve, but it's um, not necessarily your achievement. <laughs> um, and I think sometimes the negative of that is we're not leveraging and really supporting the um, 2001 Toyota House principle of challenge. Um, I don't think challenge is as supported in healthcare often. Um, And I think that is an opportunity. And I think once it's, once it is supported and embraced, I think we'll see a huge difference in uptake. Um, Yeah, I think, uh, I think oftentimes from a culture standpoint, what I've seen in healthcare is similar thinking. People with a similar mind are rewarded where the best innovation comes from diversity of thought and you need challenge and you need diversity of thought to create challenge. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, and challenge is one of those words so emphasized by the Toyota people um, leading with humility. Yes. A big part of Kaizen or continuous improvement is challenge. Yes. I think that's where sometimes people misunderstand Respect for people doesn't mean being soft on people or being nice. Right. It means to challenge. Like the difference between like as, as Karen Ross has helped me understand the difference between nice and kind. Yes. Like if we can move beyond punitive. Absolutely. I've been in healthcare settings where something bad happens. There's clearly a process improvement and learning opportunity. And then I, you know, I'm observing and trying to coach leaders of like feeling bad and telling somebody this isn't your fault don't feel bad that cannot be the end of conversation like that's nice we don't want to make someone feel bad mm-hmm. i think the the ultimate kindness is challenging then in a non-blaming non-punitive way yes how do we really understand what happened here and how do we make changes to our processes and our systems to make sure it does not happen again Yes. And there's a lot of nice in healthcare. If it's not punitive, it's nice. And I'm generalizing yes. now, but that's a I, I agree. And that that's exactly um the problem that I'm I'm I've been seeing. Uh, and when you when you go to a, a system that's not known to be nice <laughs> or, or doesn't have that nice culture, then it feels off-putting. And it's like, oh. Um, so that there's a I don't know, there's an interesting there's an interesting sweet spot that needs to be found where there's respect, psychological safety, um, challenge is welcomed and expected, not just welcomed, but expected. 
Yeah, right. Not just tolerated, but really, exactly. really welcomed. Exactly. Yeah, right. Like, I would, yeah, exactly. Like, why did I go to this meeting and no one, no one had a different idea? That should not happen. <laughs> there should be, there should be different ideas. It should be embraced. It should be, it should be expected. Um, yeah. So I, I've been, I've been, um, I've been as a lean practitioner um, and having done it for 20 years, <laughs> I will always be a lean practitioner. And um, I also have, um, you know, some background in systems thinking, design principles. And so I'm, I'm starting to look at the intersection of those things and how they support each other, because I think, again, what problem are we trying to solve? And sometimes once you uncover the onion, you're like, oh, well, these tools over here aren't necessarily the best for that. This is a bigger issue. This is a more challenging issue. This is a more complex issue. Um, and so being able to support um, the, the um, expectations, the methods, the um, really the principles, support the principles of lean through additional methods. Well, and and so you know, I was going to ask you, and in, in thinking of your learning and your experience, practice, improvement, you know, evolution here. I mean, one thing we're fighting against is the way we've always done it. Ism. There are times I think some of that creeps into lean practice, the way mm-hmm. we've always done it, the way I was taught. Yeah, you know, doing it by the book versus you know, I think. You know, you, you've got a set of ex, uh, things you've been educated on. I've got sort of a there's, yeah. there's a, a high overlap in the Venn diagram, but yes. like I've been introduced to things where you start thinking, well, maybe we can evolve mm-hmm. lean practice. What what are some of your thoughts around you know opportunities or or need to kind of integrate or synthesize ideas from from other disciplines that you've learned and worked with, like being going by the book versus rewriting the book, the new edition of the book. Yes. I think for lean um, to continue to be viable, it will have to adapt. Um, it goes back to the beginning of this conversation and where the world is going and how um, uncertain things are and how fast things move and transition. Um, but technology is moving at an incredible rate. and it is creating automation. It is um, helping reduce the burden on people. It is helping people be more efficient. Um, And lean practitioners will need to be open to um, advances in technology and how it can be leveraged um, to help. And I think you know, a lot of times we, like you said, we all have been trained in certain ways and we have our own beliefs and biases around what's the best way to do something. And, oh, you have to do it this way or you can't shortcut something because, you know, then you're not being authentic. Um, but I think we always need to consider what's the intention? What is the intention? 
Um, you know, Mike Rona reminded me of a couple months ago when I was um, getting some advice from him about um, going in a little different direction. He said, you know, Toyota started as a loom company and ended up as a car manufacturer. <laughs> so don't feel like you're not being true to something because evolution is necessary. And so um, I believe that, you know, even if I take something simple like time observations, basic method, um, lots of value in doing it, but is the value and filling out on a sheet of paper every task and time going back to sit and manually do the math or is the value in observing what's happening for yourself and being able to understand what the data is saying because there's technology that can capture what's actually happening or we can leverage things to do the math for us versus doing it for ourselves. That takes a lot of time. And the time that we take sitting there doing those manual processes, we could actually be synthesizing what's the opportunity here. You know, instead of a leader needing to know how to create a process control chart or how to create a Pareto diagram, let's let them look at it and actually understand what is it telling me? You know, I think there, there's value in the understanding and the synthesis and the ideas that come forth from the information. Um, you know, RFID um, is old technology now, but that could be used for spaghetti diagrams and automating motion. How many places are are doing that versus it and that meant have um, learners spend time evaluating what are they seeing? What's actually happening? Where's the opportunity? I think we we spend so much time doing the manual stuff that we're not putting enough emphasis on the thinking. And the thinking is where the learning comes in. Um, so I think there's a huge opportunity with all the advances and, and quick development with AI happening. Um, and I, virtual reality, augmented reality, there's so many things we can simulate now and in the future, um, versus, you know, the ways that we have done things, the idea of a moon, a moon, um, moonshine kit and moonshining things to rapidly prototype is going to look super different in the future. It's going to be digital, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the ability to test in a safe space where you can't harm anything, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So, you know, I think we need to observe our own lean processes, <laughs> identify what's the waste and how we've been doing it for the past forever. <laughs> and what can we do differently going forward leveraging technology um and that automation automation you know um automating things with the human touch that is part of lean so why are we not looking at that ourselves we look at the processes of developing services and and manufacturing things but 
are we looking at our own process as lean practitioners and saying, how could we do this differently? How do we give back time? How do we reduce the burden of telling leaders that they have to manually update a visibility wall every day? You know, there's there's value. I'm not saying there's not value in pieces of that. But the question we should challenge ourselves to what is the value? Mm -hmm. How do we keep the value and leverage technology to reduce the burden? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a real trap when when the point becomes doing the thing. Yes. That's flipping the cards on the sushi yes. by board yes. or, you know, <laughs> um, doing, quote unquote, doing the A3. Like I hear reports yes. from people like they're challenged in their organization. People emphasize, well, how many A3s we did, but how good were any of the A3s? Are we checking the box or are we really using the the, the tool with the right yeah. mindsets and for the right purpose? Like we can get off track if I mean I would say, look, you know, the point of uh, the point of lean is not quote unquote implementing lean. The, the to me, the point of lean is improving safety, improving quality, yeah. improving patient flow, improving yes. the experience. I and if like if someone could demonstrate there's a better way of accomplishing those goals, like okay, great, yeah, <laughs> great. Yeah. Let's 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 evolve the method. Or I'm not expecting, um, you know, and I don't hear you saying this. I don't expect AI to be a, a silver bullet magic solution of like, oh, we don't need lean anymore because right. we have AI. But how do we supplement? How do we evolve our practices using? using different technologies. We don't have to do things the way Toyota did it in the 1950s, which is no respect to, no disrespect to Toyota. Right. Absolutely. We evolved. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think there would be an expectation of the founders to mm -hmm. evolve. And, you know, um, I absolutely agree with you. And I think that, you know, one of my biggest pet peeves is tool zealots, like people that are just stuck on tools and, you know, it's like, Ooh, what are you using for that? And, you know, just, it's like, well, what's the thinking behind it? Can you explain your thinking? I want to know you can think. Um, and I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm concerned around um, the ability, the future ability of critical thinking. So looking at the opposite direction of the advances in technology, I think there is a sweet spot in the middle. Um, where it can be used to enhance your critical thinking. But if people use it to replace their critical thinking, it's going to be a problem. Um, and yeah, so I am, I'm, I'm a thinker and I love light bulb moments and seeing people think and helping people think and see things in new ways. Yeah. So there's there's evolution in some of your own work. You mentioned Mike Rona. Um, for people who don't know Mike, he was at Boeing, got into healthcare. He actually he wrote the introduction to the first edition of my book, Lean Hospitals. Not because I knew him really well, but like to me, you know, 2008, he was you know a leading you know figure in in in, in this work. Um, and I know you, you know you worked with him and his firm for a while, but now you've started Impact Global. You know, tell us a little bit about some of that shift to to working 
independently to starting your own firm and 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 how that allows you to evolve in in, in ways of your choosing or evolving in response to um, opportunities and pressures out there yeah um so I am I am in the middle of a growth spurt <laughs> Um, I am in a very uncomfortable place, but I welcome it. Um, starting starting something new and and starting um, something on my own, being an entrepreneur, is a new space for me. So I'm learning, I'm growing, and I there's you know I am honest enough to say I absolutely don't know it all. So I'm I am learning right now, um, but um, Impact Global is um a worldwide uh consultancy well actually i probably should say what how do you interstellar <laughs> first client was NASA. is NASA, <laughs> right. so maybe it's more than the world but um but we are are tackling um big systemic problems so improving them designing them designing new ways um and innovating um and the difference between what I have been doing and what I am doing now is um, moving from primarily process focus to system focus, um, because I believe that there's so many things at play in addition to process that impact outcomes. You know, there are there's the the people, the process, the technology, the beliefs, the culture, the leadership. Um, there's there's so many things that go into it that um, I think if we look at it at things at certain things too narrow, we're going to miss some other opportunities. Um, and so I'm leveraging my background in lean, um, six sigma, human centered design, and systems thinking to look at things in new ways to start with empathy um, and start with what is the experience? What is the journey of the customer? Um, what is the need? Um, how does it feel? Um, and I think sometimes feeling can be missed when we just look at process. Um, but I think there's so much, um, there's so much opportunity and and beyond um the problems i'm looking at are bigger they are um you know for i'll give an example so with nasa we're looking at you know 50 years from now what are the problems the world might face and if if those things come to be how could we avoid them or um you know how could could aviation play a role in avoiding them or if nothing changes, would aviation cause them? So how do we how do we stop that? So really looking at things differently, but the background in lean and the foundation I have in lean um, has been able to help catapult me and um, and look at things in a unique way. Mm -hmm. um, so really excited about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so before we wrap up, you know, I want to you know touch on. When you talk about big systemic problems or opportunities for improvement or evolution, um, you know we can look at, let's say, in, in particular within lean circles, um, conferences, events, speakers. Um, could even look to my own podcast for opportunities for improvement. But looking at 
uh, you know, diversity and representation. And and how do we frame the opportunity slash problem? What, what, what can we, or what should we be doing to improve on those fronts? Yes. Um, I think that equity is a huge opportunity. That is one of the reasons um, I wanted to um, create my own organization was to include that lens on everything that I do. Um, there's, I see a lot of data. I see organizations asking to collect data, analyze data, but rarely, if ever, have I been asked or been a part of looking at it from a equity lens. <laughs> um, and it's like, well, why is no one looking at this? It might look like we don't have a problem, but if you look at it from a different angle, if you stratify the data from an equity standpoint, you might find a problem. Um, and not just a quote unquote big vague concern, but a more precisely defined problem statement with a gap, right? Yes. I will. I'll give you an example. Um, one client, um, has a, a wonderful leader who we were, uh, um, the organization I consult with was engaged, um, to help them on their ambulatory access and improving their ambulatory sites. Um, in this organization, they have faculty practices and they have clinics. These two places have different outcomes. Um, the wait times are different. They see different demographics of patients. They accept different insurances. The leader called it out. She said, we have designed in systemic racism in our organization. She's saying, we're not going to do this anymore. There will be no differentiation. We will not say we accept this insurance over here and we don't accept it over here. We will not say that it's going to take you this much time to be seen over here and this little time to be seen over here. Um, And she actually broke down to the entire team where that comes from in the history of the United States and how that came to be and, you know, called it what it was. She's like, this is racism. Um, today just so happens that it is Juneteenth. <laughs> um, we are, it's a, a celebration of freedom for all of Americans um, to really support. Um, and I'm grateful um, to be able to um, share and tell everyone to consider looking as you facilitate lean events, or if you're a leader with the organization, look from an equity, diversity, and inclusion lens. Lean can be applied to improve all of these things. There is data. There are observations that can be made. There are targets that can be set. There's root causes to be done. The process works. We just have to apply it to those problems. So sometimes you may think, well, we don't have a problem there. Our wait times are fine or our clinical outcomes are fine or our um, access is fine. But what does it look like for this group of people? What does it look like for 
um, this age range? What does it look like for people with this disability? What does it look like for this people people with this insurance? And I shouldn't be talking just healthcare, but in general, you can look at it from your customer's point of view. What is their experience? And lean is a great um, method to apply, a practice philosophy to apply um, to help with equity. Yeah. And I mean, there, there are different levels. I mean, there are different problem statements here. One is, let's say, the health outcomes, inequities and in health outcomes. Absolutely. Um, really serious problem that, you know, some organizations in, in, in healthcare are kind of combining, um, you know, the, 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 the focus on, or it's a question of, I, I think, as you put it, what problems are we trying to solve with lean thinking? And I mean, we're going to look at data and, and not ignore inequities in health outcomes or inequities in employee safety outcomes yes. based on um, different demographic lines. And, and, and what are we just excusing or saying, well, that's just the way it is. And instead of challenging ourselves to figure out how, yeah. not just throw our hands up and say, we don't have time or this isn't solvable. I'm like, well, no, yeah. work, work, like do the work, work yeah. on it. Don't, don't, don't just give up. Um, you know, there's the question around, you know, conference stages and, and, and I think the organizations putting on events are being more mindful of diversity, mm-hmm. but you know, it comes back to the question of are the efforts and the countermeasures enough? Like, and and you know, I I, I try to think of um, other people's perspectives, and I don't know if this is the best way to ask it, but I'll I'll ask it anyway. You know, Shante, what what is it? How does it feel to go to a conference and not see a black woman on stage? It feels normal, hmm. and it feels sad and disappointing. Hmm. It feels normal because my entire life, I have been the only black female in every space. Um, Does that feel good? Absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not. Um, And it makes you question at times. You have to have a, you have to have high self-esteem and self-confidence because without that, you will question, am I supposed to be here? You'll question, am I supposed to be here? Um, I became an engineer because one day I had, I had been to a conference and it was um, female engineers um, that were good, presenting to us, to a bunch of um, young girls. And so I just started saying I was going to be an engineer. And someone said to me, people like you aren't engineers. And I really didn't have a huge appreciation for what an engineer was or what kind I wanted to be. But at that moment, when someone told me I wasn't supposed to be one, that solidified my major. And that's why I became an engineer. (laughs) Um, Didn't even know what kind I was going to be. It was like, I'm going to be one because someone told me I wasn't supposed to. But every time I'm at a conference or I'm somewhere or I see a webinar or I see a thing where there's a bunch of faces presenting and none of them... And they don't, they're not representative. Um, the little girl in me questions, am I supposed to be here? And then the woman in me says, absolutely, because you need to be the face for other people to see. You absolutely need to be here. Um, and so that that is one of the other reasons I stepped out to create my own thing is because 
I need to be a face for the next generation. Um, I want to help increase the number of um, biopic people in this field. Um, I am committed to personally developing and mentoring others. Um, And so it feels disappointing that in 2023, that is still an issue, but I am doing my part to help um, combat it. Yeah. Well, you know, thank you. And I, you know, I think all of us need to work on, on that, um, you know, and think about systemic structures, the way it's always been. How yes. do we do hiring into an organization? How, where yes. do we find speakers? Well, it's people we know. It's people Absolutely. in our network, and 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 at some point, you know, you've you've got to you've got to reach beyond the way we've yes. always hired, the way we've always selected speakers. Yes. Um, you know, there. I mean, there was. Uh, I mean, we we instead of making excuses, go find a way. If someone to say we cannot find enough qualified people of cover, color to come up and speak on our stage. I'm like, try harder. Yes. They're out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. You might not know who they are. Absolutely. But, 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 but try harder instead of saying we don't have the time to find them or they can't yes. be found. That's self-defeating and yes. perpetuating. Um, and it the, goes back to how a lot of decisions are made based on relationship. Mm-hmm. And is that the right process? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> What is the process? Right. <laughs> so we we need to apply, you know, land practitioners and, and organizations should apply the thinking that they do to um, service and product development and delivery to everything. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about systemic causes and even systemic causes of biases or mindsets we might have, like you use the phrase systemic racism and people who are still listening to our podcast at this point have probably, there might be some people who've got upset and turned it off already. Okay. I hope not, but there's probably (laughs) some, but I I think one thing worth emphasizing here, and, and I think I've, I've come to better understand is that describing Systemic racism in an organization or even at a societal level doesn't mean every person in that system is a bad person. Oh, absolutely. And some people get really offended and say, well, you say there's systemic racism. You're calling us all racist. I'm like, I don't think that's what's being said. Right. And the example I described was about how the process was set up. It wasn't about a person at all. And what's fascinating is the majority of the leadership team of that institution is black. So racism can be <laughs> internal. I didn't say the people were racist. Systems, the design of the systems were are. And I think um, people do tend to hear a word and turn off. You know, they hear a word and like, oh, I'm not listening anymore. It's like, no, what what's actually being said here? You know, it it had nothing to do with the individuals, their thinking, their thoughts, their beliefs. Um, it's the design of the processes and the systems. Um, and it's not necessarily it wasn't intentional. 
I hope not. It could have been, but originally it could have been. Who knows? But it doesn't even matter at this point why initially. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do about it? <laughs> what are we going to do about it? And there, there are, uh, so I was going to ask you um, to share about some of the things people are doing um, about this, of thinking of going back upstream of how are we developing and bringing people along so that they get skills and knowledge and experience and accomplishments to be on those stages, um, you know, in, in, in terms of. I mean, there are there are some specific activities, different organizations, or I was I was going to ask you to share. Um, yeah. What you're aware yeah. Of. Um, so for one, um, I I just interviewed for an intern, um, and the interns that I interviewed are from North Carolina A and T University, which is a historically black college and university, um, one of the top engineering schools in the country, and. That is one way is to develop your pipeline um, and to create from the beginning. Um, now, everyone doesn't have time, you know, to to wait, tw- you know, 10 years <laughs> to have a new employee. <laughs> but that's just one strategy and one place to start. There needs to be a multi-pronged approach. Another approach is to leverage organizations such as the National Society of Black Engineers. Um, there is a whole cadre of um, African-American and Black um, engineers, including systems and industrial engineers, um, that would have the same, if not more, um, knowledge that I started You know, when I was out of college. All of us learned on the ground. <laughs> All of us learned in the workplace. All of us learned on the job, really learned on the job. So why would we not give someone else that opportunity? Another, um, oh, and that organization has a, um, what's called the Process Improvement um, Industry Group. So they are certifying people, um, whether they are new college grads, they have an alumni chapter with people that have graduated and are in already working. So they are certifying people through their organization. Um, I think one frustration that I have had is that if you look at the um, diversity of organizations and you look at, okay, what's the percent of Latinx or Black people or whatever in this organization, even if the percentage isn't bad, look at it from a leadership standpoint. What what does it look like at the top? There needs to be recruiting <laughs> and searches going on for minority talent at the top of organizations. Um, if you can pay a recruiter or search firm, tell them specifically what you're looking for and what you want. They can find it, but we don't ask. We're not, we're not asking for that. Um, and a lot of times it is just, who do I know? Um, so it, it go like, again, it goes back to process. Where are we looking? It exists. People exist. We exist. We're out here. Um, there are opportunities to be had. And most people are developed on the job. 
practice, practitioners practice. You have to practice on the job. (laughs) You are mentored, you are coached. This is a coaching profession. We coach each other and we are developed that way. So all you need, all anyone needs is, um, they need an opportunity and, and, um, development can be had. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think, I think a lot of things are excuses. It's a lot of excuses. Excuses, assumptions, and and I'm not trying to, you know, when I talk about a pipeline of people, I'm not trying to say this problem will be solved in the future. It it can be solved today in addition to making sure that there are um, not inequities of opportunity for college students or younger today. Absolutely. 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 And, you know, going back to um, Juneteenth, which I just happen to have my Juneteenth t-shirt on today because I'm going to go celebrate this afternoon. But, um, you know, that's what it's all about. It is about um, an America where all people are created equal and the freedoms that we share and organizations should look internally to say, are we providing equal opportunity? Do our people feel free? And going back to what you said, I think I love the idea of, of employee, um, employee service and how do employees feel? Because I'm not sure how many organizations are looking at the satisfaction and experience of their people data stratified. Right. Because I think that would be very telling. And and and, and some are, and it is telling yeah. and eye-opening. And then what action are you are, are you are you gonna take? I I would yeah. hope if people are gonna stratify the data and look at it, be prepared to do something about it instead of just right. excuse it the way sometimes with say uh hospital acquired infections of like, well, these things it's yeah. sad that these things happen. Like, no, yeah. work on it. Right. And, you know, if you have business resource groups or um, they have different names and different organizations, you know, sometimes that's what they say their their tactic is. And most of those organizations don't have levers. They don't have operational control over anything. They can't hire. They can't they can't promote. But that's what their missions are. And so, you know, let's not just be performative and say things or put things in place because it has a name and we can publish about it. But what can you actually do? What's tangible? Um, You know, make sure people have the levers to Mm -hmm. do what's being asked of them to do. Well, Shante, thank you, um, you know, for, for doing the episode. I'm glad we could do this. Um, Thank you for, for doing it today on, uh, you know, the third year um, that the United States recognizes Juneteenth as a federal holiday. Um, you know, going back to, and I encourage people, a lot of people, if, you, if you're not aware of the history of Juneteenth, you know, you, you you can look that up. And, you know, that that proclamation of freedom, and I'm in Texas today as we're recording this, that this happened in Texas um, this day, 1865. And, you know, that that's only a couple lifetimes ago. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it really makes you pause and reflect and, and say, okay, like, yeah, it's a great day yeah. for everyone, especially people that have 
positions of influence to say, what can I do different? How can I make things better? Um, so um, thank you for having me. Um, I appreciate even more the fact that this was not planned for me to <laughs> for me to uh, record on Juneteenth. We had a couple of other dates and due to some conflicts, we had to change it. But um, this was a date that I chose. Um, and so I, I appreciate that um, because, you know, there, there's so many organizations that, oh, there's something coming up. Let's look for a black face. And that's not what happened here. And, uh, and so I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity and um, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, thank you, Shantae. I'm glad we, we could talk about such a wide range of topics here today. So again, um, Shantae Kinch um, has been our guest. I will put links in the show notes to Shantae's uh, LinkedIn profile to the Impact Global um, website. And for people who poke around on the website, they will see I'm I'm listed. I'm happy to be listed on the website with Shantae as we look to create some opportunities to um, you know partner up in helping people Absolutely. solve big, challenging problems. It's, uh, it's an inspiring vision that you have, Shantae. And um, look forward to um, to working with you and, and maybe even having you back here on the podcast again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.